Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. It might have been a good idea for me to wait and record the show. Because like many of you, I'm very, very frustrated. I, I would venture to say that I'm probably in a foul mood. And I'll be honest with you, but a lot of people say, well, you know, at least Ole Miss lost. It didn't help me. Am I happy they lost? Absolutely. But it doesn't change anything about the ball game that I saw at Dirty Noble Field on Sunday. So, yeah, m- maybe it's a little bit of uh, maybe uh, relief for the open wound. But I'm, I'm more concerned about what happens at Mississippi State. I, I told a couple of our, uh, our friends after the ball game, I said, you know, man, if they make it and we don't, it's just going to be almost unbearable. So at the very least, there is some relief of knowing they're not going to make it. But I want to make it. I don't really care what happens up there in relation to what happens here. And he said, well, Steve, I don't understand. You wrote a book about Ole Miss. Yes, I did. But I am more concerned about what happens at Mississippi State than I am up the road. Now, I'm a firm believer that the only thing that compares to good news in Starkville is bad news in Oxford. Because I believe in rivalry. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, some of you, some of you folks that, you know, like, you know, think, oh, you know, we should all be just friends and family. You know, we've lived different experiences. I'll just share that with you. Much different experiences. I don't care if they ever win a game, ever, in anything, ever. If they never had anything of joy at all to, when it came to the athletics, they would be fine with me. 
I don't know how to be any other way. I'm not interested in being any other way. I don't need to be friends with people that you know have sought the destruction of Mississippi State from the very beginning. But we're not going to spend the whole show talking about rivalry. I've done enough of that. So I want to talk about baseball. And, uh, it, yeah, it's – I didn't expect to be here playing on Monday. I, 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 I really be honest with you, I, I hoped we would close it out today in a major way. Because you just never know what's going to happen in these winner-take-all things. You just, you just simply never know. As great as we all felt Saturday night, we feel just as anxious – with, you know, with a dash of negativity on Sunday night. Because in many ways, you know, the same old warts kind of reared their ugly head again, right? Not exactly sure what we're going to do. Bottom third of the order. They didn't come through at all. Um, I will say that I thought it was interesting, and I'm going to get to that when we break down the show. You know, Lane Forsythe is the guy that uh, had been O for the postseason – then on Sunday, he leads off two innings and gets on base and turns the order over. So you got a runner on and you got, you know, your best two hitters in the lineup hitting against the pitcher in the stretch. And we did absolutely nothing with it. And so even in that situation, you know, Lane's battling through a slump. He rockets the ball back up the middle. And the next time he works account for a walk, you know, we got to make that happen. I mean, this is the postseason. This sitting Tuesday night against Mississippi Valley State. And I had somebody message me about that, too, and said, Steve, could you give Valley a little bit of a break? I went to – I went to I was a Delta Devil. Can you give me a little bit of a break? So, yeah, so this is not Tuesday night against Alcorn State. Fair? It's a postseason. You got to make those things count, man. When you have somebody that maybe is struggling a little bit and they do a good job of getting on base and kind of setting the table for you a little bit, man, you got to pick them up. You got to pick them up, and we didn't do it. We absolutely didn't do it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like I look around the, the league and I'm, oh, Steve Arkansas lost. Hey, you know what? That's kind of cool. But you know what? That doesn't get Mississippi State any closer to Omaha. That only matters if we get there. You know, we were already thinking, hey, maybe it'd be great to be able to play those guys in Omaha in that big ballpark. That's what's so amazing to me about Arkansas. Is it the offense abandons them and bomb? I could see it. If they went 0-2 in Omaha again, I wouldn't have been the least bit surprised. The fact that they go up there and put up, what, 20, 21 runs in game one, and then on Sunday with their season on the line, they get four hits and two runs on two freshmen. Are you kidding me? Nobody could have foreseen that happening. But here's the thing that happens in baseball. When you're a team that is ultra-reliant – on the home run, you're going to lose some games. You're going to lose some big games because eventually you're going to run into some great starting pitching. They're going to shut you down. You know, Arkansas, as, as great as they were, and, you know, sometimes we build them up uh, without really looking at the numbers, but, you know, they only swept one series all year, and that was us. And so they were beatable on weekends, and people just couldn't finish them off. You go back and look. I mean, there were a couple times this year some teams that were, you know, Arkansas had a chance. I mean, excuse me, Alabama had a chance to take that series. You know, Auburn wins a game against them. Auburn gave them, gave them fits. And so they were not this, you know, machine that some people wanted to make them out to be. Yeah, I'm not sitting here trying to sell you baseball uh, website subscriptions. I'm just going to tell you how it is. I mean, you know, that's the thing that I felt like Arkansas was beatable in Omaha. But I at least thought they'd get there. It's incredible. And that's the thing, there is a little bit of sympathy in my heart for Arkansas fans. And I don't mean these idiots on Twitter 
you know, the ones that just can't seem to, you know, any discussion about Mississippi State, all of a sudden somebody makes a comment about Duty Noble Field, we've got to have 10,000 Arkansas fans in the mentions, uh-uh, uh-uh, and they've never attended a game outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas, right? I'm not talking about those fans. I'm not talking about that brand of Arkansas fan. I'm talking about that brand of Arkansas fan that's like most of us. They love college baseball. They cheer for their team. I suspect tonight and this offseason will be longer than any before. Because you got to wonder, man, are we ever going to get there if you're Arkansas? I mean, I know, listen, we feel that same way too. This is one of the greatest teams in their history. They were basically wire-to-wire number one after we got in a conference play. They win the SEC regular season championship by two games. They breeze through the SEC tournament. They get the number one national seed, which has proven to be the kiss of death this, this century. Only since 1999 has the number one seed, and that was Miami, won the national championship. Everybody that's been number one in the 2000s has not won the NFL championship. And now Arkansas won't even make it to Omaha. One of the things, too, I think is important to understand, too, this, this was Arkansas's year. I mean, look at what Kevin Copps did. That'll never happen again. I mean, if it does, it, it's, it's going to be rare in our lifetime. That guy's, you know, once-in-a-decade type player, maybe once-in-a-generation type guy. It's crazy how it all happens. But I just want you to just kind of listen to the couple of these things I say about Arkansas too. You know, so that you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get Bob Moore back next year. But when you start running this thing down, Jalen Battles is a junior. That's your shortstop. Jacob Nesbitt, third baseman, he's a junior. Uh, Braden Webb is a redshirt senior. He's gone. Matt Goodhart, a senior. Casey Opitz, senior. Connor Nolan. Junior pitcher, Colin Smith, transfer from East Tennessee State, redshirt senior. You know, Brady Slavens, junior, coming out of Johnson City Community College. Christian Franklin, junior, he'll be a pretty high draft pick. You know, and so we can go on down the list here. You know, Patrick Wicklander, junior. You know, my point being is that everything was set up for this to be the year for Arkansas. The year. Kevin Copps, of course, redshirt senior, too. So you're going to have some guys get drafted, and uh, they're going to go pretty early, and they're not going to sign much money because they're going to pay them beneath slot for the bonus so they can pay over slot for some high school kids somewhere. But this Arkansas team is going to be absolutely gutted next year. Absolutely gutted. I could see them being in the bottom half of the SEC, probably be a regional team somewhere, but this was the year for them. And everything that every milestone they'd had with, along the way, they were checking boxes and checking boxes and checking boxes. And then they get beat by an NC State team that I think many people kind of took for granted. Hey, and good for the good for the pack, man. Good, good, good for the Wolf Pack. It shocks college baseball. Really shakes things up for college baseball. And that's the thing too. It's like that's the thing about this tournament. You know, Ron Polk and I talked about it at the beginning of the year. The best team doesn't always make it to Omaha. The best team doesn't always win a national championship. It's not like football, in many respects, basketball. It's the hottest team that wins it. That, that's why teams like Fresno State and Coastal Carolina, and in many respects, Vanderbilt, their first time, win a national championship. That's why I wish we'd get hot. 
We have been here the last couple weeks. We'd like to see us get ignited again. There's only a few games left between here and the national championship. We've got one big one tomorrow. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I do have some sympathy for the rank-and-file Razorback fan. I think it's, you know, this, this is very reminiscent of 1989 for us. 1989, we absolutely should have won an Apple championship, and we didn't. We didn't even make it to Omaha. That's what this reminds me of, a team that was primed and built and peaking, and then they just run into a pitching performance that is difficult to explain. Let's look – before we get into uh, – you know, the body of the show. Let's look into uh, – let's look around the bracket here just to kind of get you caught up. Because I know if you're like me, sometimes when we get – when we get beat, I don't really want to look at anything. You know, I'm just I, – maybe I'm a baby that way, and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. I don't, I don't even watch Sports Center when, when Mississippi State loses a football game, I don't even watch, uh, you know, the college game day shows because I don't even want to see the risk of uh, – of our score scrolling across the bottom of the screen and reminding me of the misery I'm in. All right, so here we go. Here is uh, the up-to-date bracket. NC State, of course, wins in Fayetteville. Shocker. Stanford absolutely destroys Texas Tech. You know, Texas Tech was probably the controversial top eight seed. A lot of people felt Stanford should have got in there, possibly Notre Dame. Stanford uh, kind of uh, gets some redemption there. They win and will advance. They will play NC State in uh, on uh, Saturday there in, in uh, Omaha. Arizona, of course, beats Ole Miss. No real surprise there. I mean, Arizona's the better team. Ole Miss, uh, same same as it's been all year. You know, it's kind of like with us. I mean, it's like you can't find a third starter, and you know, unless Doug Nikhazy is on, it's a rough weekend. Vanderbilt advances. So that the left side of the bracket is now complete. Vanderbilt will play Arizona. Stanford will play NC State. That's your game one. That's your game. That's your day one matchups on Saturday. Now, should we advance, our first game would be on Sunday. And so here's our side of the bracket. Texas actually had a bit of a, a struggle with uh, South Florida, but they do sweep the Super Regional. They advance. Notre Dame and Mississippi State, of course, will play the rubber game tomorrow. Same for Dallas Baptist and Virginia. Virginia bounces back today. So it'll be two games of action tomorrow. That's it. Because Tennessee took down LSU in pretty impressive fashion, to be quite honest with you. And so here's the thing that I'll say before we move on and kind of break down our games. Is, you know, this is what happens in college baseball. There's all these great stories, right? And it's like all these great things that happen. Like, oh, how cool would it be? And this team makes a regional and how cute that is. But you know what? This, it's time for the great story stuff to be over. It's time for the heartwarming moments to be over. And it's time for the real elite teams in college baseball to take center stage. All the other stuff, all the human interest stuff is secondary to that. And so I'm going to say some things. It might hurt some people's feelings. I don't care. I told you I was in a foul mood. So let me go ahead and explain this as best I can. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, Tennessee is a lot better than LSU. They've beaten them now five times this year. Uh, Paul Maneri, probably smart to announce his retirement before the selection committee made their decision. Probably curried some favor within the room. So they make it. And then they go up to Oregon, and they win that regional. And you know what? That's really cute. It's great. Hey, you know what? That's really good. Alex Bregman records a video. Hey, it's time for us to reclaim our spot on top of the heavyweight division. Well, Alex, let me tell you this. 
It ain't the same game it was when you guys were there. It ain't the same conference. It ain't the same nation. It ain't the same bats. And dare I say it, I'm not going to get myself in trouble here. Let's just say the game has changed. Let's just say people are a little more cognizant of things. So, no, there is no reclaim in the heavyweight division. Another great story, right? The Tim Elko thing. You know what? Hey, it's remarkable. It is. The fact that the guy could be as injured as he was, and many people thought that he was done for the year, he comes back. I still don't understand why people pitch to him. I don't understand why you don't walk him and clog up the base paths. That eliminates any possibility of an extra base hit. But you know what? That's over. And that's the thing. Sentimentality and nostalgia will only get you so far. At some point, you got to go play baseball. There was nobody in Tucson, Arizona on Sunday night that gave two rips about a Hallmark card or a Lifetime movie. They cared about a baseball game. It's like, oh, this is really cute. And, and listen, you can live your life however you want to. All right? It, it doesn't make any difference to me. And, and I, quite frankly, I don't care what you think about my life either. But those cute little stories, they're cute because of the fact that, you know, there's, there's, some, there's humans involved in all this. But, guys, we're trying to get to the top eight. We're not trying to film some after-school special. This is the difference between the sheep and the goats. Oh, well, I really hope they make it. It's such a great story. No, it's, I don't, who cares? Why, why does it matter? Why, why, why don't we want the best teams to make it? Boy, I just want the story to continue. And so that's kind of how I see this Notre Dame thing, too. It's like, you know, it's such a great story, and you know what it is. And it's time for that story to come to an end. Just as we saw with Palmineri, just as we saw with, you know, the old Miss stuff and overcoming adversity, like they were the only team in the country that had any injuries. Just people are some more acutely aware of it because when they lose, they keep bringing that crap up. You know, we lost some players this year too. Alabama lost their start their Friday and Saturday night guy. Auburn lost their Friday and Saturday night guy most of the year. It's cute stories. Right? It happens in baseball. Injuries are part of the game. It's part of the grind. The teams that can survive and prove they have depth make it to Omaha. One of them wins. So all this other stuff is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, and, and, you know, and maybe you think less of me because you know, maybe I'm so cold-hearted or whatever. I just don't care about any of that stuff. Matter of fact, sometimes it makes me want to vomit. It's like I'm supposed to feel sorry for you because you had a couple of injuries. You know, it's a physical game. People get hurt. That's part of it. You think anybody felt bad for us back in 2017 and we had eight pitchers because we had, what, seven Tommy Johns? Was anybody sending you a Hallmark card to your house? Hey, man, sorry about your baseball team. Did that happen to you? No, it didn't. Wasn't nobody feeling sorry for us. And you know what we did? We still went to the Super Regionals. We had three position players win games in the SEC as pitchers. Jake Mangum, our center fielder, was our Sunday starter for a month. Cole Gordon raises his hand in a team meeting when Andy Canizaro says, did any of you guys pitch in high school? Can any of you guys pitch? Cole Gordon, a first baseman. 
says, yeah, coach, I can pitch. And then he does. We play Alabama. We have to put Brant Blaylock on the mound in a ball game that we should have lost, and Brant Blaylock gets us a win against Alabama. What did Tom Hanks say? There's no crying in baseball. Nobody picked up the phone and called you and said, hey, man, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. You guys had a bunch of Tommy John injuries. No, that is not how life works. And so I just don't look at it the same way you guys do, I guess. You know, if, if, I want, if I want to feel good about that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm going to take, go outside and let my dogs run into flowers and that sort of stuff, or I can pick my kids up and take them to the park. I'm trying to win a national championship. But that, that's what's important to me. You want to see me get emotional? You want to see me cry? You want to see me, uh, you know, have my heart warmed? Let's win a national championship. I'm, I'm not here for the human interest stuff. I'm just not. I don't care about any stuff. You know what? Palmineri is retiring, and we've been saying it for a year. You know, Palmineri is retiring. He had a great career. But I'll be honest with you, you know, there is so much discussion about that. I mean, it, it is like we have, we have reached such a point where the term legend has become synonymous with being pretty good. You can say, well, Steve, I can't believe you'd say that. Okay, well, you know, Skip, Skip Bertman is a legend. Ron Frazier is a legend. You could argue Augie Garrido is a legend. But, you know, it's like it's difficult to appreciate greatness in the moment sometimes. But I mean, let me just run it down for you here. You know, it's like you look at this pulmonary thing. You know, Paul was a good coach. He was. He was a good coach. You talk to some LSU people down there, they'll tell you he was just kind of mediocre. It was probably a little bit better than Smoke Val, though, right? So, I mean, you know, Notre Dame, they made some regionals. When they came down here, they lost to us. Went to Omaha one time back in 2002. They were a mainstay in the regional. you got to give them credit. Last couple of years there, didn't reach the regional final. And then he wins a national championship in 2009 with primarily a bunch of guys that uh, Smoke Laval recruited. I mean, and let's just look, you know, the last few years here. You know, uh, 2021, they get beaten in Supers. 2019, beaten in Super. 2018, um, didn't make it to the Supers. You know, 17, we go down there, they beat us in the Supers, and they go to College World Series, and they lose. The year before that, they're in the Supers. I mean, so, you know, you make the College World Series a few times. I mean, it's like, I just don't share the same esteem for Paul Maneri that other people do. He was a really good coach. He's not a legend. Not a legend. You can say, well, you know, he was coaching for a long time, and that's true. So if you want to give him an award for longevity, that's cool, too. But let, let's kind of knock the legend talk a little bit, you know. And, again, may, maybe I'm a little bit jaded and bitter because we lost a ball game. And maybe it's because we lost Notre Dame. I don't know. But I'm just – it's time for all of these stories to end so we can go crown a national champion. Does that make sense? I, I'm tired of all of this other stuff. It's constantly rammed down our throats. Oh, you got to love this. You got to love. No, I don't. I don't have to love any of that stuff. I I don't have to love any of it. And I'm not going to because it it doesn't affect me. What affects me is what happens on that diamond when Mississippi State is playing. When we win, I am happy. When we lose, I am not. And so we have talked about being an Omaha team for the third straight year all year long. Beginning of the year, I talked to you guys, you know what, State has a legitimate chance to win the SEC. And we did, and we blew it. 
And now we have a chance to get to Omaha, and the field is uh, kind of watered down a little bit because of all these upsets. And I've been thinking, you know, for weeks, if we can just get there, if we can just get there, who knows what could happen? Maybe our leadership with T.A. and Rowdy and some other guys, maybe that proves to be the difference. Maybe we go win a bracket. Maybe we make it to the national championship final. But we got to get there. we got to make it to Omaha, and it's down to one game now. We are one game, one win away from getting to Omaha, and then anything can happen, absolutely anything. And you know something else, too? I'm going to tell you this. Mississippi State is not a cute story. Mississippi State is not a great story. Mississippi State is not going to tug at your heartstrings. That's not who we are. We are a very blue-collar, business-like story about a team that's trying to get back to Omaha for the third time because we are in the middle of trying to win a national championship. We don't need somebody to make a movie about us. We're not cute. We're not heartwarming. We're just a really good baseball team that's trying to get to where we want to go, and that's to go to Omaha and go compete for a national championship. And if I sound a little bit bitter, I'm okay with that too. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, Roy Samante snuck down there this weekend and had the full of bologna sandwich, gives it the thumbs up. Said he loves the I tuna burger too, but the full of bologna, he goes, man, it's one of those things that almost puts you in a food coma. It's a lot of food for not a lot of money. That's one of the best things about Bulldog Burger Company is the portions are so generous. You go in there, you plop, you plop your money down, and they bring you this tray of food, and it looks like it's enough for two people. It's tremendous. Three, lo- three great locations to serve you now. Brand new Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland, Gloucester Street and Tupelo, and then the home store. That's a university drive right here in Star Vegas. Go by, have the spring rolls. And, I, and you guys tag me all the time. It's like, hey, Steve, we went and had a, a pregame meal. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys supporting them. But also, too, you're making a good decision for yourself. You're getting great food at a great price, great service, supporting a great business it's originated right here in the Golden Triangle. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so let's look at the weekend and kind of get you up to date on where we are in the series. Obviously, you know when we lose, when we win. I'm still fired up about that pulmonary stuff. All right, so let's look at uh, game one, the one that we won in dramatic fashion. There are a couple things that I want to say, too. Um, there has been much made about these errors that Notre Dame committed, but they didn't all come back to bite them. We made an error in that ball game that has essentially cost us three runs. Nobody's talking about that, though. It's funny how that happens. It's like, oh, and some of it's our own people. Well, they didn't make those errors. You know, if we don't make that error, we win that game going away. How about that? Did you ever think about that? It's true. I'm going to explain it to you right here on the day show. So let's go run through this thing here. And what, we had such a problem getting them out early in the innings. They're a great hitting team. Lee Jarrett's done a great job preparing them. Very first pitch of the game, Spencer Meyer singles to right field. I turned to Shotgun Spratling from D1 Baseball, and I said, it's already a better start than last week. We gave up a solo home run to Max Pinto, first pitch of the game to Samford. I joke, but it ended up being a real struggle for us. Uh, Colden singles in the right. They got runners at first and second. We get the double play, and then uh, we walk Cavadas, kind of pitch around him, but Putts picks him up. Putts hits, I mean, basically just kind of throws the bat at the slider away and just pokes in the center field. It's a one nothing ball game. And you know what? I actually could live with that, despite the fact that we had a little traffic on the bases. I thought we were okay. 
So we come right back in the bottom one and we tie it. And here's the deal. And I want to make sure that we drive this point home because I think this is going to be important for tomorrow. We go as T.A. and Rowdy goes. That's just a self-fulfilling prophecy in many respects. And I don't know if it's because we got some young guys in the order that are thinking, you know what, if T.A. and Rowdy can't hit this guy, I can't either. Because it's very rare that we have somebody pick us up. T.A. and Rowdy always in the middle of it. Always. That was the case as we got even in bottom of one. Rowdy actually has a really good at bat here. We do ground out, and then T.A. follows up with a bomb to right center to tie the ball game. Cam James grounds out. Another great at bat for Cam, too. He's found something. Maybe he's figured some things out for us. And so we need him to be big down the stretch, and then uh, Luke grounds out there. So, again, we go right back to the second. Leadoff hitter hits a dinger. So second straight inning, there's a base hit and a run scores. We get the next three in order, one, two, three, fly out, pop up, and a line out. We get into the bottom of second. We don't get much going here, but, uh, you know, I thought Brad Cumbus swung it really well. And, um, you know, Brad's another guy. You know, he didn't get the benefit of spring or summer baseball or fall baseball, so it's all of a sudden you're starting to see him get some better at bats because he's kind of rounded in the form late. That could be big for us because we really need him to be uh, a contributor for us. But Cumbus gets a two-out double, and then Kellum Clark can't get him around there. Kellum has not had a big weekend yet. Yet. We'll see what happens tomorrow. And having to face all those lefties are a big part of that. But uh, I'm a big Kellum Clark fan. I'm just waiting for him to break out. So, again, we get the top of third, and what do we do? We walk Cole. So, for the third consecutive inning, the leadoff runner is on, and he comes around and scores. Cavadas is hit by a pitch, a one-two pitch with one out. Cuz is then hit by the pitch. So now the bases are loaded. And we're beginning to think they've got a chance to break this thing open right here. But Bednar really barrels down. We do give up the single that allows one run to score, and then we strike out the side. But again, the leadoff walk, leadoff guy gets on, comes around, uh, and hurts us. We do have a chance to come back here and make some things happen and probably should have scored more here in the bottom of third. Uh, Forsyth leads out with a fly out to right, and then Rowdy doubles. They walk T.A. intentionally. And you got if you're Cameron James here, you have to take that personal. And he does. He goes up there and takes one through the right side, um, runs the guy in, drives the guy in, and they, they charge the error on the right fielder because he misplayed it out there. The runner's going to score anyway. T.A. is going to go to third more than likely anyway. You know, Cam takes second. And so that's really your error. So, you know, it's like, oh, well, this these all these errors. Uh, Rowdy scores anyway. T.A. goes first to third on that without any problem. And then what happens next? Hancock hits the ball to third base, and there is an error. But you know what? T.A. would have scored anyway. And so there's two errors in this inning, and everybody's like, oh, but Notre Dame makes all these errors. Guys, both of those runs are going to score either way. Errors or not. It extends the inning. And then Logan Tanner grounds into double play. But those two runs that scored in the bottom of third, no matter how they're charged, they were going to score anyway. Such so a 3 3 ball game. So those two errors, go ahead and let's just go ahead and consider that Mox Knicks because there's just nothing there. We really gained no advantage from the two errors except for the fact that Cam James is able to take second on that because TA is going first, third on that. That's just how it is. That's baseball. So, again, two of the four errors happened there in the third and really did not affect the inning at all. 
All right, so we get to the top of four, and uh, here's what happens again. Zach Prasner, who was having a great super regional, for, super regional for Notre Dame, doubles to right center. So for the fourth straight inning, the leadoff guy gets on. Myerson singles to center, drives in Prasner. It's a 4-3 ball game. We battle back. Uh, we get a strikeout, and we get a du- they give a double, and then we walk Cavadas, and uh, we get the double play from putts. So Bednar does a good job kind of getting around it there. But, again, you know, it's just like you look at this. When you let guys get on, and especially when they, you know, have a chance to get on and get in a scoring position with less than two outs, more times than not, it's going to hurt you. And it did. Bottom of four, DeBrule grounds out, Cumba strikes out, and then Clark rips a single to center field, and then Forsyth grounds out. And so that's your inning. Top of five, this is when Notre Dame extended us. And I want you to let's pay very close attention to this, too. Because nobody in the national media talks about this. As we discussed before, there's two errors there early in the ballgame. Uh, did not affect the scoring. Just allowed us to get a runner to second. But uh, So, we get uh, Brannigan to ground out to second. That's the first time on the day we've gotten a leadoff hitter out. Coatsy then hits a routine ground ball to Cam. Cam, for some reason, rushes the throw. Would have been two outs. And then, Boom. The wheels are off. Runner gets on, then Lamana singles to left, and Prasner hits a three-run bomb. It is a seven-to-three ball game. At the very least, that's one guy less guy on base. But you just never know what's going to happen if we have to face Lamana with two outs and nobody on, and then Bednar is able to throw from the windup rather than a stretch. You just never really know. But the first time we're able to get out of the end and get the leadoff guy out, we gift them a runner. It should have been two quick outs. It wasn't. But nobody talks about that. I'm not trying to pick on Cameron James. I'm a huge Cameron James fan. I think you guys know that. I think he's going to make a big jump next year and be a really good player for us. Uh, Going to be one of our leaders. I really believe that. But, you know, we make a mistake here, and it kind of opens the door for them to kind of get some separation in the game. It's a 7-3 ball game. We'll get the next couple guys out. And, uh, you know, we had a chance to quit right here. Some of our fans did. And, uh, listen, I know that it's hot. But uh, you can get free water. You buy your water and you refill it for free. I get it. But I also don't. We had a bunch of people leave there in the fifth inning when they, when they separated and went up 7-3. I'm so glad that, the, that the, the Bulldogs didn't quit. Some of the Bulldog fans did, but the Bulldogs didn't quit. So Rowdy gets it started, you know, 0-2 count, singles to left field. T.A. hits the ball pretty well, and it was an error. Probably should have been a double play. You know, he hits it to him pretty good, and he just can't just can't come up with it. And so now, all of a sudden, this is this is an error that opens the door for us to get back in the ball game. Uh, Cam James then singles to left, drives in a run. Now it's seven to four. Nothing cheap about the hit. Just went up there and knocked it through the uh, left side into the outfield. Cam then goes to second on a wild pitch. Ta goes to third. So now we've got two men in scoring position. Hancock reaches on a throw-in error by the shortstop. You know, basically, the run's going to score here, but we hit a ball back up to the middle, and uh, it's a pretty routine play. Throws it in the dirt. Cavadas can't dig it out. And then we hit into a double play, and then the run scores. And so, yeah, those errors in that inning contributed directly to runs for Mississippi State. Now, granted, we had to put the ball in play, but they made four errors on the day, the first two of no consequence. These two were. 
There's no, there's no getting around that. I mean, if you, you turn a double play there, you eliminate Rowdy and T.A., and all of a sudden it's, it's two outs, you're pitching to Cam James. And so, yeah, those were significant. But they weren't the difference in the ballgame. It never comes down to that. When we convince ourselves of that in hindsight, but it never boils down to that. Notre Dame goes one, two, three there in the sixth. Uh, Cavadas grounds out into the shift. Bottom of six, we're within one. Cumbus pops out, then Kelm Clark walks. Great at bat for him. He fouled off several pitches. Forsyth K's swinging, and then Rowdy hits the tank. And the thing that I remember about this, too, and I remember telling Tyler Horker this, we just need somebody to get on because it's a, it's a one-run ball game. We're thinking if anybody in the bottom third can get on and extend the inning and allow Rowdy or T.A. to come up, you know, with a runner on with two outs, you know, a base hit ties the ball game. In this situation, a base hit was a home run, gives State the lead. Great job there. Absolutely great job, Rowdy. Uh, gives him his 10th home run on the year. Tanner Allen's also hit a home run on the weekend. He has nine. If T.A. hits another one, Mississippi State will have five players with double-digit home run totals. Five. If we told you at the beginning of the year, hey, we're going to have five guys hit at least ten home runs apiece, we'd have taken that in a million years. I said, you know what, I'm going to run with this and uh, feel good about life. Top of seven, we you know have a little problem here, kind of standing prosperity. Again, the lead-off, leadoff hitter gets on. Branding a doubles to left. We get a foul out and a strikeout. we got a chance to get out of it. And then what happens again, Praisner again, doubles to left, drives in a run. It's a tie ball game. Again, leadoff hitters, man. you got to get quick outs. And, you know, it's easier said than done. But, man, you got to give Notre Dame some credit. They did a great job getting the leadoff guy on then getting him around to score. And a lot of this is two-out two hitting. It's not like, okay, they got a guy on, they bunt him around, they, they, they get a ground ball to the right side. Now they get a double, and then they get another double, and they, they bring them in. But a lot of that, again, it's two out hitting. I get this, These guys are tough now. They really are. I had somebody try to hold my feet to the fire about this whole thing. Well, Notre Dame should have been a top eight national seed. No, they should not. Just because you had the gift of hindsight now, and you've never seen them play before, and you say, you know what, hey, these guys are really good. You know what, they are really good. They're absolutely a really good team. And they could probably go to Omaha and win some ball games. But here's the deal. They should not have been a top eight national seed. Their strength of schedule nor their RPI was where it should have been with the rest of the top eight. But also, too, think about the precedent it sets if the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee says, you know what, hey, they canceled all their non-conference games, so let's give them a top eight national seed. Well, then, so then can Vanderbilt do that? So that's the precedent we want to set is, you know what, hey, I tell you what, just go ahead and cancel all your non-conference games, save all your arms for the weekend, and then we'll reward you by giving you a top eight national seed. So, no, Notre Dame did not deserve a top eight national seed. Now, are they, are they one of the top eight teams in the country? Probably so. That doesn't mean they should be a top eight national seed. They manipulated the season. You can feel about it however you want to, but the fact remains that's exactly what happened. Uh, bottom of seven, this is where I thought, you know, our fans got really upset with the home plate umpire. I thought it was a good reason for this. Uh, Cam James strikes out on a full count on a ball in the other batter's box. I thought it was wide at the game. I got home watching broadcast again. It's on the white in the other batter's box, and it is a two-seam fastball. It's not a breaking ball that may have caught the corner. It's a two-seamer he tried to backdoor him with, and it never broke back. It's basically just a fastball in the other batter's box. Catcher does a decent job trying to frame it, and your home plate umpire fell for it, punches him out. 
Luke Hancock strikes out two. I, I what didn't have as big a complaint about this one. It was much closer to play, but I did think it was inside. But I also think two on a full count, especially in a ball game where you need base runners, you got to at least foul that ball off. And then Tanner Allen, excuse me, Logan Tanner gets into a full count, and then he fouls the ball off and then hits a tank to give State the lead 9-8. The Brule flies out there, and we're ready to go. We bring in Landon Sims. And, and listen, I feel the same way about that you guys do. It's like as soon as I see him come into the ball game, I think the game's over. I mean, it's like, okay, it's kind of like daddy's home. All right, everything's going to be good now. We're good to go. Landon comes in, and uh, it really was game over. So uh, we get a strikeout, we get a ground out, and we get Cavadas to strike out. Look, and, and what a battle that was with he and Cavadas. If I remember correctly, it was an 11-pitch at bat. And it was two absolute warriors. It's best on best. And our guy won. And he absolutely fooled him and strikes him out looking. And Cavadas didn't like it. But you know what? That's the thing, too. When you run your mouth in the paper, you better be ready to deliver in the ballgame. And it really felt like that was the ballgame. It seemed like the ninth inning was basically of no consequence because we had won the ballgame. So we get into the eight. Cumba singles to left and really rifled that thing in the left. Clark pops up to second, Forsyth grounds out, and then uh, Rowdy Jordan Case and another, another lengthy at bat there. We were able to grind out some at bats. Top of nine, of course, Landon Sims in the ball game. It goes to one, two, three. So we win the ball game nine eight. Uh, the first thing that I want to say about this is we did not get lucky. Notre Dame did not give us the game. Errors are part of the game, and as I've already explained to you, two of those errors did not lead to runs. So can we stop making excuses for our success? We won the ball game. Our guys could have folded and quit. They didn't. Some of our fans did. They didn't quit. They battled back and they won the ball game and put us in the driver's seat in the Super Regional. That deserves your respect. It's kind of the identity of this team, though, right? They don't quit. Some of the fans may quit. They don't quit. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. 
After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, let's look at game two as much as we don't want to. The first thing that I want to say right out of the gate, I thought Christian McLeod actually had pretty good stuff today. I really did. He didn't help himself, but I thought we actually had pretty good stuff today. So we are the visiting team, and that first inning, I thought, man, we are ready to go. Rowdy comes out and nearly nearly hits a jack on the very first pitch. Triples off a center field wall. Very next pitch, T.A. flies out the center. It's a one-nothing ball game. Two pitches, one-nothing. We're great. Cam James works a great walk there. And then he reads the ball in the dirt and takes off and nearly beats it, but they, they called him out, and I think he was out. It was a very, very close review. Probably changed the complexion of the inning. You get him there with less than two outs. Luke Hancock's at the plate. You got to feel like, you know what, maybe Luke can drive one through the right side. Luke – had a pretty good regional. Has had a tough, difficult weekend because we've seen all these left-handers. But um, Hancock then flies out to center. But it's a one-nothing game. We think, okay, we're off to a good start here. Bottom of one, we get a K swinging. And then it's an 0-2 count on Cole. And I'm thinking we're fixing to punch this guy out too. We hit him. And then all of a sudden, I think we had some adversity. We began to buckle a little bit. We walk the next guy. Now, all of a sudden, it's first and second. Cavadas gets his first hit of the weekend. Just rips a ball in the right field on a 2-0 count. But rather than quit, I thought Christian really knuckled up here and said, you know what, let's go fight. He gets putts on three pitches. And then we get this craziness. We got a chance to, okay, we're fixing to get out of this thing, right? We're going to leave the bases loaded. We're a pitch away from getting out of it. And this is one of those things that's kind of indicative of our night, right? Christian fools the guy, the guy that's been just killing us all weekend, praising her. And we get a little number that rolls up by the mound. And then this is where – Changing first base in the middle of the year sometimes, and I'm not being critical of Luke, but, you know, when you've got guys out there, that those situations you hadn't encountered that very often. And so it's like we miscommunicated. We didn't play it. We, we should have played it like a bunt, and I think everybody panics there. And then we don't make the play at first, and we're not cognizant of the fact that the ball is still live and a second run scores. It's big. It really is. You say, well, you know what, Steve, it ended up being a 9-1 ball game. That's true. But I think that gave them some juice early on, and we really looked befuddled. Despite that first inning trouble, Christian really kind of battled back and gave us a pretty good start. 
Top of second, we get back in there. We don't do much. We, we get a one-out single from DeBrule, who has been awfully quiet. And, again, that's that lefty-lefty thing. I mean, it's just that's just the reality of life. Kumba strikes out swinging. Clark strikes out swinging. And uh, the last two strikes of those at-bats were, were swinging. And, you know, we just had trouble picking up that ball low in the zone. Bottom of second, we get a one-two-three inning. We get a K. We get a ground out. We get a ground out. So we get through the second, it's 2-1. Top of third, we're hitting again. Rowdy singles back up the box. Now we get the leadoff hitter. We're thinking, okay, let's get him around, get this game tied. Let's get even and go to war here. And then what happens is we strike out the side. And all three of them swinging. We couldn't pick up that ball low in his own. He was throwing a changeup. He was throwing that slider. We absolutely could not lay off that pitch. Now here's the thing that I'll say, and you're going to think I'm being critical of this coaching staff, and I don't mean to be. But you got to make an adjustment. You absolutely have to make an adjustment. Early in the ball game, he was trying to throw that fastball bias, and we were rocking him. Hard contact. So what does he do? He goes back to being a soft toss and lefty. And what do we do? Even if fastball counts, we just we just simply can't resist it. You know the adjustments you make there, especially when you got a guy that can only throw 88, 89. And then the speed differential between his changeup and the fastball, seven, eight miles per hour, is you sit soft. And if you get a fastball, you adjust. But we struggled to do that. I mean, that's just the reality. We just weren't seeing it well. We had a tough time picking that ball up. And he really, really, really changed the game. I give Terrell a lot of credit. Did a great job. So bottom of third, we go back out there. Christian gets a one, two, three inning. Fly out, fly out, and then we strike out Cavada swinging on a beautiful breaking ball. Top of four, we had this crazy play, and I just don't think there was enough to overturn it. But Hancock, or it was Logan Tanner, excuse me, Hancock grounds out to second, and then Tanner hits that one down the line. It looked like it goes off the guy's glove. And maybe it's the homer in me, but I thought the ball changed direction. Third baseman goes up, tries to make a play on it, they call it foul. It did hit in foul territory, but I did think it went off the glove in fair territory, which would have made it a fair ball. Tannerton pops up, crowd boos. I wanted to boo with you. Then the Brule grounds out to shortstop. Been, again, tough weekend for Scotty so far. Bottom of four, and this is when the game got away from us right here. Bottom of four, putt singles. We finally get Prasioners uh, to strike out swinging, and then we walk Brannigan. On a full count, we get up in the account. We get the foul ball to start it. Two-two count. We walk him on two pitches, and then Coatsy reaches on an error. We just didn't play it well. They're giving us the bunt there, and we throw to first. Can't make it. The run scores, and then we give up the home run. And Deadgum nine hole gets us again. Prasner was in a nine hole last night, and then uh, Lamanis in the nine hole tonight hits the bomb. It's a 6-1 ball game. I think at that point we all felt it was kind of academic at that point. The game was essentially over. It was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. We get cold. We get out of it. And I really thought we had a little give up in us at this point. I, I, even though it was a bunch of ball game left, I just felt like we had some selfish swings here. We did grind out some at-bats here in the bottom third of the order. Cumba singles up the middle and really hit the ball well. Uh, then Clark lines out a second and an incredible play there. But it was a great at bat. It's a 2-0 count, and the next thing you know, it's a full count. 
We foul the ball off, and then he absolutely tattoos this ball back towards the middle, and the second baseman just makes an unbelievable play, and you just kind of feel like it's not our night. Rowdy then flies out the center to end the inning. We go back out, and we get a one, two, three inning again. One, one, two, three, ground out, strike out, fly out. At this point, we're just trying to save some arms for Monday, right? So then we get this uh, crazy play, Tanner Allen. It's, he absolutely tattoos this ball. It goes off the pitcher directly to second baseman who retires him at first. At this point, I was beginning to think, you know what? We're starting to kind of catch on to what he's doing. We're hitting some balls hard because Cam James went right behind him and did basically the same play except there was no play to be made at first. And then Hancock pops up, Tanner grounds out, the inning is over. But we're putting the ball in play there. We're not striking out then. Bottom of six, Notre Dame pads the lead here. Prasner again, singles to left field. We bring in Brandon Smith, and then Brannigan hits the bomb to left field. And it just, off the bat, it felt like that was going to stay in the park, but it kept carrying it and carrying it and carrying. And it's an 8-1 ball game. And then Smith gets a foul out and pair of ground balls, and he is the sinker ball guy. So, just it's it's insane to think about how that happens. Top of seven, we go one, two, three. Notre Dame in the seventh, tacks on their final one. Uh, Cole triples to right field. To be honest with you, I thought we were I thought we were a little bit loafing on this play. Ball rattles around a little bit out there, and then we we I guess we didn't think he was going to go to third. We didn't really work that relay pretty well there. That that just can't happen. And you know I, I credit Cole for going for it because. You know what? They got us on the ropes right there. Let's knock us out. Then they get a ground out to the right side. And that's when we had the infield in. Uh, Cavadas is then intentionally walked. And then Putz gets a fielder's choice, and the run scores makes it 9-1. Prasner singles again. He's probably the MVP of the regional at this point. Uh, then Brannigan strikes out swinging. We get to the eighth, and we actually mount a little bit of a rally here. We get a leadoff walk from Forsyth. I talked about that earlier. You know, Forsyth gets a single. We don't do anything with it. And then here we are. He walks. And what happens is by putting that leadoff runner on, now we have the top of the order facing a pitcher in the stretch. And so that should be an advantage for the offense. Well, it wasn't. We we basically hit into a double play, but Rowdy gets down the line really well, and we we beat it out. Then T.A. walks. Now you get runners at first and second. They do pull Tyrell here. And uh, bring in the big reliever, a big right-hander, uh, Rao. And he gets Cam James looking, and the ball was low. But it's too low – I mean, excuse me, it's too close to take on a full count when you're trying to come back. It's actually pretty good at bat. It's, you know, it's 2-0 count, it's 2-2. We work it full, and then we take that ball low. A lot could have happened there. Rowdy Jordan then uh, gets a third on an error by the catcher. Wild pitch. <laughs> Or maybe they ruled it a pass ball. But either way, and then Hancock grounds out. Again, tough weekend so far for our left-handed hitters, you know, not named Tanner Allen. And Tanner hadn't been great. He's been good, but he hadn't been great. Uh, Coatsy then flies out to right. This is Cade Smith. Cade Smith came in and did a great job for us. I'm really high on Cade Smith. And, you know, it's like you always look for some silver lining. There's not much in this ball game. But I thought Cade Smith was one of the lone bright spots. He gets a fly out to right. We get a K on three pitches. And then we get Myers – uh, flies out to right. So it is a basically a five-pitch inning for Cade Smith. You know, maybe we're starting tomorrow. Who knows? Uh, top nine, 
Logan Tanner grounds out. The Brule walks, and then we ground the double play. And that's a ball game. That's a ball game, and uh, very frustrating night for us. But and here's the thing that I go back to. People are like, oh, you know, pitching wise, blah blah blah. The, the nine doesn't bother me as much as the one does, because we had some opportunities, you know, to get some hits, and I just thought thought our approach to play was really lacking. I, I thought we really had some bad at bats at times. Other times we'd grind some things out. But there were several times when guys at the top of our order had a chance to get big hits to either extend innings or drive in runs. And then we just can't see that breaking ball low. And so you can go ahead and expect tomorrow when they pitch, and I suspect it'll be Will Mercer they'll throw. And we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see a lot more breaking stuff. We're going to see a lot more change of pace. We're going to see some balls down in his own because when we hit it, we're going to hit ground balls. And next thing you know, their defense is so good – they're just going to field it and throw over to first. You know, we got to find a way to see that ball up and make some things happen. But, again, an abysmal, an abysmal night at the plate. You know, we, we were able to you know, string a few hits uh, together throughout the ball game. I guess that's not really the right term. Uh, we had five hits in the game, but we couldn't really string it together. A lot of that stuff was just kind of we get a hit here and then we don't do anything to follow it up. And, listen, a lot of that's got to do with Tyrell, too. Aiden Tyrell I thought was outstanding. I mean, give him a lot of credit for what he did. Uh, he really, 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 really confused us tonight. And uh, so we lose the ball game. And now it's a loser-leaves-town matchup on Monday. And the thing that I've always said when it comes to these super regionals and the regional finals and that is the team that knows they have to play two games to advance, there is a mental edge there. The team that showed up yesterday and says, you know what, we're one win away from Omaha, and now all of a sudden we got to play a second game, it's difficult to get engaged. Now, we have good leadership on this team, and this is where T.A. and Rowdy have to really step up. And I asked Chris Simonis about it in postgame. I mean, you know, listen, the last 27 outs to get you to Omaha are the most difficult ones of the entire season. And so, you know, what happens from here? You know, we're going to go play a ball game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not, not nervous about it because I am. I absolutely am very concerned about it because of the showing we had on, on, on Sunday. You know, forget the whole thing on Saturday. You know, and I get, again, I get so tired of this. It's like errors, injuries, bad pitches are all part of the ball game. That's part of the, that's part of the game of baseball. And some people point out, oh, well, you know, well, we made this error here. You know what? When you groove a fastball up and they hit it out of the ballpark – that's an error, too. It doesn't go down in the box score as an error, but when you don't execute a pitch properly, that's a problem. That's part of the game of baseball. It goes down as a hit. Sometimes it goes down as a run. But it's just as impactful as a guy that boots a ball around. In fact, it's probably a bigger issue. So when you get great pitching and you get great defense, more times than not, you win, and that's what happened to Notre Dame on Sunday. They got great pitching, played great defense behind them, and uh, we took some selfish swings. I mean, that's just that's just me being honest with you. I, I really thought our approach was was very, 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 very poor at the plate, and they took full advantage. But uh, it wasn't all about us. You tipped the cap and said, you know what? Sometimes you run into a red-hot pitcher, and that's what we did tonight. They did a great job. So we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, but we got to figure out what we're going to do pitching-wise on Monday. Today's top 10 list brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. Go visit johnnypacker.com today 
to learn more about your own sunglass options. And listen, there are some new options available for you on the website. Brand new blue light glasses. Listen, if you're like me and you sit in front of a computer screen most of the day, you understand about eye strain, you understand about pain. You know, sometimes your eyes get really tired. And so they're doing their best at Johnny Packer to kind of help you with that. So you can get those blue light glasses. And it's one of those things that, uh, you know, just kind of blows my mind a little bit when you look at this stuff, you know, is that there's so many options to choose from. You get some cool glasses, but also, too, you get those those blue light glasses. And um, so let me tell you how you get there. Go under the shop glasses on the main menu at johnnypacker.com. You'll see a secondary menu of blue light glasses. They have non-prescription and then plus one and plus two reading blue light lenses. If you're looking for special powers that fall between those on the page, they can even make custom lenses for you. All you got to do is contact them on the website. Listen, everybody, if you have a specific need, they're going to help you with that. Just go to the contact link, click the email, Send it on to them. And a few of the more popular frames back in stock, those will go online Monday. Uh, The Gulfport pair, that's the uh, John Schneider Bo Duke model, right? Uh, Those are going to go really fast. If you want those, you better grab them very soon. And be sure to email Brandon and John and let them know if they're not available because you're going to miss out. No guarantee they're going to be available the next time you get ready to look. And um, so... There are a few things out there that are happening. And again, go to johnnypacker.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save 10%. As I've shared with you guys before, a portion of your purchase goes directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I'm a firm believer in that FedEx campaign, that foundation. There are a lot of people that you're helping improve the quality of their life. John Packer himself is a person that has lived with Cystic Fibrosis his whole life, and so he's trying to do something positive. It's a company run by Bulldog People. Uh, and so check out those lenses. And again, if you don't see availability, send those guys an email. They will take care of you right away. And thank you guys for supporting them. That's johnnypacker.com. All right, so I got a request. And listen, I've had so many emails and messages, people asking me to, uh, to help them find tickets. I can't recall who sent me this, so please forgive me. But it's top 10 boy bands. And I guess you thought I wouldn't touch this, but you're wrong. Now, one of the things I want to give you a full disclaimer here, too. I'm just looking at the 90s pop boy bands, right? Because there have been boy bands throughout life. You know, you got, you know, the Monkees, and in many respects, the Beatles were a boy band before they turned into a rock band. I know that's a sacrilegious comment, according to some. But you've had a lot of boy bands, Jackson 5, people like that. I'm not doing legendary boy bands today. I'm doing the boy band era, you know, really in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, early 2000s. There are also some R&B groups that are considered boy bands by others. I think that's a category unto itself. The Boys to Men is listed as a boy band, according to some people. I completely disagree. I think Boys to Men is a category all their own. Matter of fact, on Wednesday, we're going to do a Boys to Men list. How about that? I don't want to lump them in with the boy bands because I think that is somewhat demeaning to boys to men. I think they are a bona fide R&B act. And yes, they harmonize. And yes, it was a group made of boys uh, or young men, shall we say. I just don't consider them to be a part of this category. So in the true radio pop music boy band era, there was really kind of a big three, right? There was 98 Degrees with Nick Lachey, uh, who eventually became Mr. Jessica Simpson. It's good work if you can get it. 
And there was NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. There were some other bands, too, that were kind of one-offs. And so I've got a few of those in here, too. So let's go ahead and get into the top ten list. I also did not limit myself to the super boy bands to just one song. So here are the top ten songs of the boy band era. Number ten, a song called Flying Without Wings from Westlife. Flying Without Wings. It's a ballad. There are a lot of ballads on here, right? Also some dance tracks. Number nine, from a band outside of Orlando, O-Town. It's a song called All or Nothing, another ballad. Number eight, probably one of the biggest ballads of that era. It's I Swear from All for One. It's certainly a one-hit wonder. <laughs> Number seven, one of the best ballads from this band. It's NSYNC's God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You. That's a nice notion, right? It's like we're all created, but uh, you're so special, God probably spent a little more time on you. It's a nice line. It really is. Number six, 98 Degrees makes their lawn appearance on the list. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. The hardest thing from 98 Degrees. I, like, I do like the harmonies on that. And I like the beat, too. It's a pretty good track there. Uh, number five, I Want You Back from NSYNC. Not a cover of the Jackson 5 song. It's I Want You Back. It's a, it's a dance track, too. Number four, the Backstreet Boys make their first appearance on the list. It's As Long As You Love Me by the Backstreet Boys. I didn't like the Backstreet Boys quite as much as NSYNC, just to be honest with you. But, uh, the, yeah, they're talented guys for sure. Number three on the list is uh, actually the, the most downloaded NSYNC song, which is kind of surprising to me. But it's Bye 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 from NSYNC. You can hear it at Dirty Noblefield occasionally, too. And Because You Are My Fire, number two, is I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. I think that's the best Backstreet Boys song. I don't know that we could put together a top ten list of Backstreet Boys songs and be in like without stretching it. But that is clearly the best one. The best one. I know like some people like The Shape of My Heart. I didn't like it as much. I Want It That Way from the Backstreet Boys is phenomenal. Video is good, too. But number one, the best boy band song of the 90s is Tearing Up My Heart in sync. And uh, it's a great dance track. Love it. Think you guys would dig it too. But that's the top 10 boy band tracks from pop radio in the 90s. And listen, I know there are a lot more in sync songs, a lot more Backstreet Boys songs. Uh, I don't get deep into the catalog. I'm just going to play the hits for you. But many of you thought, you know what, Steve will never touch this. You're wrong. And listen, I got a chance to visit with so many of you at Duty Noble Field this weekend and you told me how much you love the, the, uh, the top 10 list. Thanks so much for your support. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. And again, Wednesday, we'll do Boys to Men. Kind of got fired up about that too because I, I was on that train long before most people were. Had a friend in a radio business that uh, sent me an advanced copy of, um, I guess, it, what is it, Cooley High Harmony? I think that's the name of that first album. But uh, before it was even released. And uh, those guys are phenomenal. So we'll talk about them on Wednesday. But that's my top ten. If you have ideas, reach out. Let me know on social media. At Scout Cvar, all forms of social media. Or you can find me on Gene's page. Or you know what? If you just see me out and about, say, hey, Steve, what about this? I'll go ahead and text Roy. Roy can put them on the list. So looking forward to, uh, to some more top tens. All right, let's talk a little bit about tomorrow. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. 
I uh, had a chance to see Stand Man and Miss Kathy Brown recently, and I had a bunch of people that tagged me in some tweets and posts and said, hey, they went by and got loaded up on some new uh, Bulldog merch there at Campus Bookmart. One of the coolest things is so many people said, you know what, Steve, I never even went to Campus Bookmart until they started advertising on your show and you made it sound so good. Listen, those folks are like family to me, and I encourage you to go by and support them. They love Mississippi State just as much as we all do. They are committed to the cause. Go by and see them today. And if you can't, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's talk pitching plans. If I had to call it, I expect it to be Will Mercer for Notre Dame. And then if they have announced it, I'm not aware of it. He has a 4-2 and two record, 4.53 ERA. He does have the worst ERA of the starters. Ten starts, 17 appearances, has a couple of saves. Also has the lowest number of innings pitched for the starters, just 55.2. Allows 60 hits over a hit per inning. 28 earned runs. He doesn't walk many. He doesn't strike out many. So 44 Ks and you know, 44 Ks, 17 walks. Uh, does have a propensity to get hit a little bit though. 273 average, which is among the highest on the team, and certainly the highest among the starters. It, it, he was pitching earlier in the weekends, and then um, you know Terrell kind of came on late, and uh, Terrell has pitched him on Sundays, but they bump him up a day to go against us today. And they'll, they'll have uh, Mercer to go. But, listen, it's going to be a Johnny Holstaff day for everybody. But Mercer's numbers have actually been pretty good. He had a really good showing in the regional. Let me pull these numbers up and we'll talk about these. And then we'll talk a little bit about Mississippi State. Mercer also a left-hander, 6'1", 195, uh, out of Houston, Texas. A guy that's got a little more velo, too, from what I, what, what I hear. Another guy that uh, can, can throw it a little bit here. So – Let's look at these numbers here, kind of run through some of these things. Uh, he was 1-0 and back in 19 and 20. Did not do well. Started four games uh, just through 13.2 innings. So not an extremely experienced pitcher. Uh, he takes a loss early in the year to Wake Forest. Gets a win over Clemson at Clemson. Beats Virginia 10-5. Beats Duke. Beats Valpo. That's a midweek game. Loses to Louisville on the weekend, 7-4. Beats Pitt. Loses to Georgia Tech. Beats Central Michigan in a midweek game. Uh, beats NC State, of course, and they're headed to Omaha. Then he gets absolutely shelled against Boston College. Just goes four innings, allowed seven runs in the ball game. North Carolina, he beats those guys 4 uh, nothing. And, again, not a really long outing, 4.2 innings. Florida State, he loses to them, only goes five innings there. Goes an inning of relief against Valpo. Uh, gets just three innings in against uh, Virginia Tech. That was in middle relief. And then comes back and pitches a little bit later in the weekend. Also puts up uh, five innings there. Uh, that was a few days later. And then against UConn, he has a season high seven innings pitch. And that was a 26-3 ball game. And he got hit a little bit there. But also, too, that ball game was over. So that's about kind of saving. That's a winner's bracket game. So he's, you know, saving um, – arms for the rest of the weekend so four and two and again you know a guy that's been hit a little bit so hopefully things will work out well for us I think I think it's going to be unlike any of the other games you know when the main thing we got to do is hit line drives here 
we don't have to go hit a bunch of home runs, but we've got to be able to put some things together. That's one of the things that I think about with, with our offense this year that has been so frustrating is we never really have the big inning. And what I mean by that is, you know, go out there and get three or four hits and really rock somebody. The, those innings have been few and far between. And it's one thing for that to happen in SEC play, which is pretty rare. But, you know, in non-conference play, it hadn't happened a lot for us either. And there are sometimes, you know, we get in big innings because guys can't throw strikes. I don't think it's going to be the case. I think he's going to pitch to contact like the rest of these guys and uh, try to get some swing and miss. You know, and Terrell, the most strikeouts he'd had in the game all year was six, and he matches that today. And much of that, you know, comes when in important times. So those are high-stress innings, and he does a good job there. So, yeah, yeah, we can hit Mercer, you know, but we got to go out there and have a good approach. Maybe we go out there and work line drives, work middle of the field. we got to go out there and put the ball in play and not just hit ground balls and beat the ball on the ground all day because they're not going to give us much. It's just not going to happen. Just not, it's just not going to happen. So we got to go out there and attack this guy. And, again, I think we can be too aggressive and go out there and try to hit a bunch of jacks. I think you just got to go up there and just keep, keep the train moving. Now, who does Mississippi State start? I could see any number of possibilities here. We discussed a little bit on Twitter, and some people got their feelings hurt. Um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to starting Landon Sims. And people are like, oh, my gosh, Steve, we got to have him close the ball game. Yeah, I, I would rather him throw the first three or four innings and kind of keep the game at zero and give us a chance to get a little bit of a lead than to bring him in a ball game late. And here's the thing, too. Yeah, you can bring him in in the third inning. You can bring him in in the fourth inning. But the bottom line is we got to get a strike throw early on. I, I would not start Jackson Fristo. And, that, listen, that is not a criticism of Jackson Fristo. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. Yes, he's a right-handed opener for us, but you know, he really struggled in the regional. And I, I think, listen, you're probably asking a little too much of him to go out there and uh, pitch against Notre Dame and, and basically a game that will determine the quality of our season. You lose the game, we're going home. You win the game, we're going to Omaha. I just don't know if I would trust putting a true freshman out there under those circumstances, Jackson Fristo or not. And again, that's not a criticism of him. I just think the moment is too big. Yeah, maybe you throw Kate Smith out there. I don't know. You know, And I think you say, well, Steve, you just said you wouldn't throw a true freshman. You know, I think Kate Smith – uh, the fact that he got out there and got an inning today, you know, maybe you look at it and say he's got a little more confidence. Uh, you know, Fristo at times has been a little bit up and down, and I think he's kind of hit the wall. He's never had to throw this many high-stress innings. And so maybe you throw Cade Smith and try to get to the order once. I don't know. Maybe you start Landon Sims. Maybe you start Houston Harding. But the good thing is we've got a lot of options. We have to play this game like there is no tomorrow. Like we're not, we're not going to make it to Omaha. We've got to have all hands on deck, do whatever we got to do, and so I like the idea of starting a right-hander then bringing Harding out of the bullpen. I think Harding is better out of the bullpen. I think he is phenomenal out of the bullpen. And I think, you know, you go out there and you get three or four innings and all of a sudden you turn the ball over to Harding and say, you know what, can you get me three or four and get me into the eighth? You know, then all of a sudden we feel pretty good about our chances. And, you know, then maybe you do bring in Landon Sims. But you got to make sure Landon Sims gets a chance to pitch tomorrow, whether it be as a starter whether it's a long reliever, whether it's a closer, because he is our best pitcher. If the game starts to get away from us, you got to bring him in and slow things down. And people say, well, Steve, he doesn't have that kind of stamina. Guys, Landon Sims was nearly a starter for us. That was the possibility. We discussed that. That was one of those things we looked at. Landon Sims, people forget, too, you know, he's had some long outings this year. It hadn't been as simple as, oh, we can only go through one inning. You're not saving him for anything. 
You go as long as he can go. And I've read some of these comments, too. And, guys, I love you guys to death, but your reasoning skills are not very good. Like, well, well, Cops lost today. Guys, Kevin Cops went eight innings and gave up three runs. If we can get th- give up three runs and eight innings in that ball game tomorrow, we're going to win the game. That's how I feel about it. If you knew today that we were going to be able to throw Landon Sims and get and only allow three runs over eight innings, you're going to make that decision every single time. And so, you know, Ole Miss threw Broadway. I don't think it mattered who Ole Miss threw. I think Arizona's better than them. And, and again, they run out of pitching again, which has been a consistent theme for them. We're not out of pitching. We just got to find somebody and go out there and give us a quality start. We haven't had a quality start yet this weekend. And I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for that. They clearly have a really good plan. And I do like the idea of not naming a starter until you have to. There's no point giving them all night long to sit there and break down VR film and look at stuff and talk about things and break down tendencies. I mean, get, instead of giving them one or two pitchers to consider, let them consider all of them. Go out there and post game as Chris Monas did and said everybody's available. I mean, you don't want to tip your cap. You don't tip your hand either. So let's look at the Landon Sim stuff too because I think sometimes we, we kind of forget. We say, oh, we hadn't thrown twice on a weekend very often. Maybe that's a problem. So maybe you've forgotten this. Uh, Landon Sims threw four innings against Texas, his first outing of the year. His second outing was against Tulane. He goes three and two-thirds of an inning. So if you knew that he could go out there and get you four shutout innings to start the ball game, wouldn't you take that? If you say, okay, well, listen, we're going to throw Cade Smith for two innings, maybe get us through the order one time, and then all of a sudden Landon's got, you know, four, five, six, and seven. Landon might even stretch himself to the eighth. You, you take that. You know, so let's not think he's just got to work in one inning stance. You know, that began to happen a little bit later. You know, Kent stayed in the inning, UL two innings. Uh, Eastern Michigan one inning. LSU he goes two. Arkansas he goes three and two-thirds of an inning. Doesn't give up a hit or a run. People forget that stuff. You know, two innings against Kentucky, two against Auburn, two against Ole Miss. Comes back two days later, goes again. Two and two-thirds against Vandy. Goes three innings against A&M. Two against South Carolina, two against Missouri, two against Alabama. Comes back two days later, goes another inning. wasn't quite as effective, and then he threw a little bit, a little bit of a heater there in the uh, SEC tournament. Then he goes three against Campbell and two against Notre Dame. And so, yeah, the concern is, is okay. You're bringing him back on three days rest after he had to throw you know, a couple of innings against Notre Dame. And so, you know, how effective would he be? But you know, Landon Sims has to be part of our pitching plans on Monday. And it can't be, okay, we're just going to wait. I think you've got to have him somewhat at the ready to hold the game in place. And you say, well, I still don't want to panic. Hey, guys, it's time to panic. It's absolutely time to panic. Okay, we have worked all year to get to this point, to get to Omaha. And so you've got a game. you got one game to get there. And if that means you got to throw your best guy. And, like, and, and it's, it's, listen, here's the thing, too. It doesn't matter what Broadway did at Ole Miss. Broadway's not Landon Sims. If you got a Kevin Cobb's performance out of Landon Simmons tomorrow, you would feel, you'd be packing a bag for Omaha. You get a Broadway performance, you know, the season's over anyway. But those, those things have nothing to do with it. Well, you know, it hadn't really preferred well for other teams. It, that's got nothing to do with it. Zero. Zero to do with it. But, yeah, he's got to throw and probably throw pretty early. Hey, but you know what? If you start Houston Harding and he's dealing – you know what? Then you ride him as long as you can. Because here's the thing I know about Houston Harding. 
You know, where he doesn't have a plus fastball. On a good day, he's probably throwing 91. But you know what? He can drop that changeup on you about 71 miles per hour. So you got sometimes, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 mile per hour differential. You're going to get a ton of swing and miss. And he also have basically throws three variations of the change. He can throw the circle change. He can throw a straight change. He's got another one that's kind of a modified straight change that he works with too. And so it's a variety of pitches that he can work with. But here's the thing that I know above all things about Houston Harding is he is going to compete and he wants the baseball. He wants a baseball. Now, there may be some guys, and I don't know, there may be some guys who would say, you know what, even if they're honest with themselves, they say, you know what, maybe maybe let this pass from me. Maybe I'll get you down the road, coach. But Houston Harding wants a baseball. Landon Sims wants a baseball. Brandon Smith wants a baseball. Cade Smith wants a baseball. You got some guys out there that want the baseball. And listen, Preston Johnson's another one. Parker Stinnett's another one. You got some guys that have some dog in them. You know, we got to get out there and just throw strikes. This is a very good offensive team from Notre Dame. They're not going to swing it a whole lot. You know, listen, and when we do get them, more times than not, it's when we're changing speeds. And so Houston Harding might be the perfect matchup for them. I, I struggle a little bit, you know, with the whole lefty-righty thing because they got a ton of righties, but that's how it's going to be anyway. And sometimes with that change up away, you know, especially when you can spot that fastball up and you can throw that change up away, you know, to the right-hander. I mean, it's, it's a difficult pitch to hit. And you get a lot of soft contact. And he's been really good for us down the stretch. I mean, you look at that start against Missouri, and it's really kind of the anomaly. We, we remember that. But, you know, that was the thing, too. He didn't just dominate that start. But at the same time, too, he didn't necessarily go out there and beat himself. We had the bad error early on, and things kind of snowballed from there. But that's not really who he is. I mean, if you look at the numbers with him, and let's do that real quick before we move on. It's not at all – like, it's very surprising, really, when you look at it. Because, like, we have spent so much time talking about the other guys. He has kind of quietly had a big-time year for us, and much of it has been in relief. You know, we go to the uh, – let's just run it down here real quick. You know, he goes uh, three and a third against TCU, gives up one hit and one run. We did have some trouble with walks. The most he had all year was three. And, again, you know, this the guy didn't know he was starting. Finds out, well, Bednar's not going to go, and we throw him to the Wolves, and, you know, did the best he could. We lose the ball game 3-2, but, you know, listen, he went out there and gave us 66 high-quality pitches and did the best he could. Then he goes against Tulane, a couple of innings there, gives up a couple of hits. Southern Miss, he goes five innings against them. Outstanding job as a starter. And was striking out guys left and right. Nine Ks in the ballgame, which uh, was a regular season high for him. He goes five innings against UL, um, UL Lafayette. Gives up three hits over five innings. Strikes out eight. Pitches okay against Samford the first time through. Three and a thirds allows four hits. No runs. But, you know, we had a couple of uh, base running snafus that kind of went in our favor. He goes an inning of relief against North Alabama. Does not allow a run. Arkansas goes uh, 1.2 innings against them. Allows two hits and just one run there. Uh, Kentucky, he goes in, gets a guy out. Comes back the next day, doesn't get his guy out. It was a matchup, matchup deal. Goes in, it's Auburn, and, uh, you know, faces a couple guys. We get the win there. He comes back on Sunday, goes three innings, two hits, allows one run. Just does a great job for us there. Gets a win. 
Uh, against Ole Miss, he goes and really made them look kind of silly. He goes three and a third inning, allows a, allows a couple runs there, but uh, five Ks and gets the W. Vanderbilt, he goes up there and gets touched just a little bit, allows a couple runs. A&M, he goes uh, five innings of relief, four hits, no runs. South Carolina, it's kind of a simpler deal, right? We, you know, we bring him in, and it just seems like that, you know, he's just better out of the pen. South Carolina, we go a couple of innings, allow a couple of hits, get out of it. That's the game that Scott Fox all got ejected in. And I really thought Hootie grew up a lot in that ball game. Then you know, he earns a start against Mizzou. We only go two innings there and give up six runs on six hits, two of them unearned there, and just a one strikeout. So, you know, everybody's entitled to a bad day every once in a while, and maybe this, is a, this was it. You know, maybe this is his bad day. Because he bounced back against Alabama, goes five and two-thirds of an inning, allows just two hits, no runs. Doesn't have a single strikeout, but a bunch of soft contact that day. That ups his record to six and two. And then he goes against Campbell. And, it, again, Frista goes out there, and we get behind immediately. And then he comes in and puts out the fire. He goes five innings, allows three hits, two runs. Those runs came late. And then a season-high ten strikeouts. And so, again, he's really good out of the pen. But I think the guy is such a competitor, I don't think it really matters. And I think, you know, we've tried the opener thing with him. And so maybe you throw, again, maybe you think, okay, let's throw Cade Smith out there maybe for a couple innings. Because Cade's been pretty efficient too. I, I mean, we, we all go back and think about, you know, the one time that it didn't work out for us. But, uh, you know, Cade's a guy that's going to be a big part of our future. I think he really is a factor next year on the weekend. I think he will be a guy in contention. Uh, he's had the one start this year, but he's, uh, you know, listen, he's had a handful of appearances. You know, he goes, uh, has a great inning in his debut against Southern. Uh, Arkansas State, he goes uh, two innings, allows a couple of hits, five strikeouts. UAB wasn't so much fun. Goes one-third of an inning and gives up three runs there. But uh, bounces back, has a, uh, a great showing at the Citadel. You know, three runs, excuse me, three innings, and then one one hit in the uh, in the stint there. Got beat up a little bit against Missouri, but it was just that kind of day, you know. So that, that Sunday day, and we're just trying to get out of there. We got him some work. Florida, he comes in in the SEC tournament and throws two uh, no-hit innings on a day that was awful, right? And then he comes and throws a, uh, a perfect inning against uh, Notre Dame tonight. So – I wouldn't be totally opposed to that because I think that he has seen some high-stress innings uh, already. And I think that he is a guy that, uh, number one, grew up a bulldog. But I think that he's a guy that could really contribute. And, and, again, I think this is a guy that maybe gets you through the order one time. So, let's say you open with Cade. All right? I mean, I don't know this. I mean, I'm just speculating like all you guys do. Let's say you open with Cade and he can get you three. And then Hootie can get you three or maybe four. And then you go to Landon Sims. That sounds like a big day to me. You know, and not to mention, too, it's – three very different pitchers you know so you give them a different look and that's the thing I've always felt is important in ball games like this where the two teams are equal it's not just as simple as rolling somebody out there and say go get out so you got to have a plan and you got to understand that when you bring a guy in he's got to be a different look than the guy before him and that's what this kind of sets up for us and so maybe this is the direction we go and again I'm not opposed to starting Landon Sims. I know some of you guys are because you panic and think there's we don't have anybody else back there to close the ball game. But you got to get there. You got to have Landon Sims throw meaningful innings in the game, the game of the year. And so if that means he comes in in the fourth, that means he starts. That means he comes in in the seventh. Whatever. You know, we can't get in a situation though where you know we get behind in a ball game five six nothing, and then Landon Sims is just sitting back there in the pen. 
you know, chilling. You know, and so these are difficult decisions they have to make. If I had to make a call, though, I, I, I don't know that you don't start Houston Harding. I think you've got to have a guy out there that, you know, again, has some dog in him, but also, too, gives them a different look. And so we'll see how things progress. We'll find out before we know it. You know, it'll be, it'll be game time. And um, the thing that I do know for sure is no matter who we trot out there is going to be a guy that's going to be confident enough to go out there and get us some innings. I, I don't think we're going to take a chance with anybody that we're not 100% confident in because of how important this ballgame is. It's just about stringing it together. You know, it's just like I think about you know, Houston Harding go out there and get us five innings. If we get through five innings with Houston Harding on the mound and we have the lead, I, I'm going to say we're going to win the ballgame. Because at that point, you just got to bridge it to Landon. And, you know, Landon maybe comes in and can go three innings. I don't know. But I feel like if we can get a quality start and we haven't had one yet, then we got a great chance to win this ballgame. I really believe we're going to probably have to go out there and score seven, eight runs to win a ballgame. I really do. I think this is a team that's very offensive. They're going to have their homework done. They're going to be really excited to come out and play because – you know, this time yesterday, they were thinking, you know what, hey, we got our backs against the wall. Now they probably thought they got a little juice, got a little momentum. So we'll see how things progress. But uh, I'm excited about the ball game. I wasn't excited when I left Dirty Noble Field. But here's the deal is uh, we control our own destiny. All we have to go do is win a ball game. And there are a couple teams, or I guess dare we say it, we're the lone hope for the SEC West now. We're it you got Tennessee and Vanderbilt have already punched their tickets, but we're the only team in the West still playing baseball. And so that's the toughest league in the country, the SEC West. The SEC overall is, but the SEC West is an absolute meat grinder. I mean, where else do you have, uh, you know, four teams in the same division getting in? Or five, excuse me, Alabama got in too. We had five of our seven teams in the SEC West make the NCAA tournament. So we're battle-tested. And Notre Dame, the Dame is too, to a lesser extent. They haven't played the same competition we did. But listen, you can see they play at a high level of baseball. But this is our house. This is our destiny. These are our fans. And if you can't make the game, please make sure your tickets find their way into the hands of other Bulldogs. There are a lot of people that are all over the Facebook group saying, listen, I need tickets, I'll go. I just need a ticket. I've got a way. I've got the day off. I'm coming. I just need a way to get in. So please... Please, please. We had a good crowd last Monday. And the crowds all weekend were great. You know, we set an NCAA record. Then we have the number two. That's the thing. When we have a super regional, we have a chance to go to Omaha. We're going to have a bunch of people come out. Baseball wasn't the only game in town. We had football camps over the weekend. Brought This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Listen, Brooks Bryan's a great friend of mine. He'll be a great friend of yours. Many of you have thought about, you know what, Steve, it'd be great to live in Starkville. Let me just tell you, it is great to live in Starkville. It is wonderful to live in Starkville. We got all these great restaurants around here. We got all these great people around here. We got the Bulldogs around here. So, you know, on a Tuesday night when you get off work and say, you know, what are we going to do tonight? Let's watch Netflix. No, we're going to go to watch the men play. We're going to go watch the girls play. We're going to go watch baseball. We're going to watch softball. You don't have to worry about finding something to go do or be entertained with when you live in Starkville because there's always something going on. And we got a movie theater down here too. But listen, you move to Starkville for the Bulldogs. So many of you have said, you know what, Steve, I'm going to do that someday. Today's the day. Let's make a move. All right, it's as simple as that. Portico is right off of 12 when you turn off of 82. So if you're coming off 82, you turn to 12 like going to campus, the first right will take you to Portico. The first right 
is a Garrett Road, and it takes you across Old West Point Road. I guess Pat Station Road is what the sign says. But, I mean, it's you're a mile from campus. What could be better than that? Four-bedroom, four-bath, two-bedroom, two-bath, a house that will fit every size family or every need you have, whether it be your primary residence, an investment property, or perhaps, uh, you know, just your weekend retreat when you come up here to watch Bulldogs. Makes perfect sense. Listen, there's only a couple of houses left in the first phase. Going to be moving some dirt here soon for the second phase. Finally got permits approved for all that good stuff. But listen, don't take my word for it. Call Brooks. Brooks is invested in the Mississippi State community. He's invested in Starkville. They're going to do a great job for you. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, so we had uh, we had the Big Dog Camp on Friday, and then we had another camp on Saturday. And so we had most of the primary targets here, and it's like it's one of those things that uh, it all kind of runs together after a while. But we had a lot of stuff going on two weekends in a row. So we had a lot of baseball stuff. We had a lot of, um, I guess Big Dog Camp was actually a week ago. But we had another big group on Friday, and um, – some new offers have gone out, none for 2022 that I'm aware of. But we did offer a big offensive lineman for 2024 out of Houston, and he is also Chris Jones' second cousin. So you got to feel good about that, right? And that's something that we'll deal with later on. But uh, this is a guy that had a really good camp for us and a big-time, big-time, big-time offensive lineman. We'll see how things progress with him. But uh, he certainly has the size and he has the pedigree, right? So – the, the cool thing about this is, too, is like when you look at this offensive line recruiting, and we talked a little bit about this last week, and I've been kind of preparing you guys for this. I don't know when these things happen, but I feel really good about where State stands with Bryson Hurst, offensive lineman from Gauthier. He named Mississippi State as his leader after Big Dog Camp, which is a week ago. And all week long we've talked about it. Now, I understand that, that basically he is very, very close to his mother, as we all are, but – he wants to involve her in the decision-making process. I was told he was really, really close to committing. And then said, you know what? His, uh, I guess his dad was with him and said, hey, listen, before you do anything, you need to sit down and talk to your mom. You need to get her up here, let her meet the coaches. So that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And then, of course, there is uh, Cam East. It's, it's interesting how the whole Cam East thing works. It's like Arkansas led – and even though it was kind of a narrow lead, I mean, we all kind of knew that they were the team to beat. Their offensive line coach goes to LSU, and then Cam goes down there and camps. And so the same coach that offered him at Arkansas and was recruiting him directly has not offered him at LSU. One of the things that I'm told is because LSU already has a couple of offensive tackle prospects committed, and they've got a couple more they're looking at uh, to play on the interior, and he's kind of the odd man out. That doesn't mean they can't come back on him late. But it's interesting, you know, that the guy that was like, hey, come be a Razorback, come be a Razorback, now that he's a Tiger, now I was like, well, you're not good enough to play here. They don't say that, but that's kind of the inference there. I think Cam Meese is going to end up being a Bulldog sooner rather than later. And so when you begin to break this thing down and think about how talented this group could be, Cam East is a guy that I think out of St. Augustine High School there in New Orleans is going to be a really good SEC offensive lineman. Then you look at uh, Bryson Hurst. He is just kind of cut from a different cloth. He's a guy that's going to play on the interior. I think he's a guard all the way. But he is a guy that is pretty close to college ready. I mean, a lot of these guys show up and are out of shape. they got to get in the weight room. 
Uh, Bryson Hurst just has a core strength and a commitment to the weight room, but it's just kind of unsurpassed in Mississippi when it comes to offensive linemen. He, he's not a big guy out there just getting in the way. He's a very athletic guy that's moving people around. I think State's in a great position to get both of those. And then I think you can be extra careful with that last spot because we are going to take five offensive linemen unless something completely unforeseen happens. We have kind of operated under the assumption for a while now there's going to be two wide receivers in this class because State's gone so heavy the last couple of years. But you had some guys leave. And so what I'm told now is it's going to be three, possibly four. Before it was, hey, it's going to be two. Now it's three, possibly four, you know, because you've had some, you've had some changes, of course, in, uh, on the roster. And I think everybody understands you kind of got to replenish those guys. And this is a, an offense that requires you to have a lot of depth at wide receiver. So we're working towards that. And so there will be some new offers to go out at wide receiver here in the coming weeks. I think once they have a chance to evaluate the camp tape and kind of see where everybody went, because the, the kind of the understanding that I get from this staff is like, if you don't want to come to camp, then that says something about your level of interest in us. It's like, oh, I love you guys. I love you, coach. But I don't want to come work out with you and get to know you a little bit better. And so I kind of got that vibe from them, kind of like, you know, John Hevesy used to be with offensive linemen. Even if they didn't work out, they, they wanted them to come chill and hang. But there's some other guys out there that are kind of competing with other guys. You need to come out there and work. Now, I'll be honest with you, uh, I could see some adjustments being made to the class over the course of the next couple of months. I, I think there will be some guys that probably need to come back and camp again when they're healthy. There were a couple of guys, I know one guy that, uh, you know, Tyler Woodard's a guy that, you know, had a hamstring injury. I don't think we saw the best of him. And so I I would like to see him come back healthy and then uh, have a chance to compete. And, uh, you know, there's a couple other guys, too, that didn't work out because they had some ailments. And so you need to get them out there and get them going and kind of figure out where they fit. And so – but, again, you know, there is always this continual evaluation process. It's not as simple as, hey, I saw this kid's junior film, let's take him – you know, he has to kind of maintain where he is at the very least. You'd like to see him take some uh, some leaps and bounds and make some gains as a player. But if he doesn't, you at least need a guy to, to at least maintain that same level with you from an interest level standpoint. I think those are big things to look at is you don't want a guy that's going to coast. You don't want a guy that's going to get senioritis. You want a guy that's working to get better. You want to see him kind of transform his body a little bit, get bigger and stronger, and kind of round in the SEC shape. And so – those are things that happen. You continue to watch grades. You continue to watch physical development. You continue to watch their senior film. And listen, there have been guys in the past that have had bad senior film. Mississippi State's moved on from them. So that's part of the gig, too. So, again, be mindful. We didn't get a spring evaluation period, so guys are playing, you know, kind of getting caught up from, from, you know, from all that stuff. And as I've told you guys before, there are going to be a lot of busts in that 2021 class around the country because of the lack of evaluation time. going to be a lot of guys that show up on campus that aren't quite as big as people hoped or expected. And there are going to be a lot of guys out there that aren't as fast as expected. And eventually that shows up. Well, now it's different. Now you can get guys together and you work them out. And so there will be some other camps. I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm really excited about baseball. And I'm really excited about going to Omaha. So Mississippi State, I need you to take me with you by knocking this thing out tomorrow. And uh, I I, want to say one more thing before I go. I cannot begin to thank you guys so much for all of you that have bought Blooms of Oleander, and and your reviews have been fabulous. And listen, there are a lot of people that won't read the book that will have a lot to say about it. But uh, I put a lot of effort into that book. 
And uh, so I was notified on Sunday that Amazon is sold out of hardbacks and had one paperback left. And so they are, they're, they've reordered. No, no worries. You can go buy it today. They'll still get it to you. But also, too, it is now available on Kindle and Nook. So if you are an e-reader type person, you can find it there. Also went down today, kind of a flash signing at um, at Bookmark Cafe downtown. She is completely sold out of hardbacks and uh, I guess has about 30 paperbacks left. They're all signed. But they've sold a couple hundred books in a week. And so I want to thank you guys for your support. And uh, it's incredible to think about this. You know, this was kind of my little pet project and... I didn't really have a lot of expectations, but the book's doing exceptionally well. And from what I understand, uh, next Sunday, when they release the next Mississippi bestsellers list, Blooms of Oleander is going to be on there. And that means an awful lot to me because it's kind of my baby. And so if you're looking for that, I encourage you to go find it. You can find it. You can order it through your own bookstore. You can find it at Lemuria Books now. You can find it at Bookmark Cafe. And you can have your local bookstore order it for you. Or if you don't want to go to that trouble, you can go to Amazon or Books a Million or BarnesandNoble.com. And you can order directly from them. They won't be signed, but you can get the books. And you can catch up with me at some other point. So uh, really excited about it. And uh, yeah, ready to see that list, to be honest with you. Those are the things, too. It's like the more books that I write, the more book signings that I do, and the more authors that I write, I, I have a greater appreciation for what that list means. And uh, I work really hard to be on that list. I really do. You'd love for everything to be number one. It's just uh, doesn't always work that way with the John Grishams of the world out there. But um I put a lot of time and effort into these books, and um, you know, I hope they mean something to you. This one is very personal to me, and so if you enjoy that sort of stuff, please let me know. And again, your messages have been great. I always, when people say, "Hey, I read the book and I loved it," I always ask them, "What were your favorite poems?" It's because I like that kind of feedback. And uh, some people say, "Come to me, say, Steve, I don't, I don't like poetry, but I'll buy it for my wife." Well, that's cool too. But I think you'll enjoy. I think it's all very relatable. But again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And you can find those books, uh, as I mentioned, those websites. I will actually do a book signing this Thursday night at um, Turn Row in Greenwood. have more details for you on that on Wednesday. So if you're in the Mississippi Delta, I will be there Thursday evening at Turn Row Books. And uh, don't think they'll have the new one there, but if you're looking for Father's Day gifts, you can find them there. If you can't make it to Turn Row and you want copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, or Alpha Dogs, Go to alphadogsthebook.com. We sold some of those today down at Bookmark Cafe. So people come in to get the new book and bought some of those too. And so many of you need to go ahead and kind of supplement your reading catalog and, and find those books. Again, that's Alpha Dogs the Book. That's Alpha, A-L-P-H-A-D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. And, of course, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at starkvillains.com. All right, let's get out of here. Next time we talk, hopefully we're talking about a trip to Omaha. That's what I want. I know that's what you want. We may not always agree on how to get there, right? We may not agree on who should start. We may not agree on who should play what position. We don't get to fill out the lineup card. But I know this. Even when we disagree, we all have the same concern in mind, and that's Mississippi State being successful. And so my hope is we're all booking a trip to Omaha. I want to leave on Friday. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm hungering for the road and if we don't get a chance to make that trip, I don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, I've been looking forward to that trip now for two years. We didn't get to go last year. But I really want to go to Omaha, and many of you guys do as well. Mississippi State deserves to go, and it's all within our reach. We just got to go take care of a very good Notre Dame team on Monday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.